Welcome to Envision, fostering a community for change. Your host is Thomas Rosenberg. In today's program, you'll meet fascinating people who are implementing innovative ideas to make a difference both locally and globally. Now, here is Thomas Rosenberg. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Envision. I'm your host, Thomas Rosenberg, and today we'll be discussing some of the challenges in generating stakeholder engagement towards creating a regenerative community. In order to explore these challenges, today's conversation focuses on the efforts in Mendocino County to develop a culture of environmental protection and conservation. To give some more context to today's conservation conversation, Mendocino County is a largely rural county a couple hours north of San Francisco, California. And by the end of the 1990s, two major sources of jobs, logging and the salmon fishery, were shut, shut down. Logging without foresight had caused dream beds to fill up with sediment, clogging the gravelly beds that coho and steelhead salmon require so their eggs survive. Logging also meant more immediate runoff during precipitation events, causing stream flows to drop lower in the summer, raising water temperatures above what the fish could survive, and cutting connectivity between deeper, cooler pools of water. In 1998, the Navarro Watershed Conservation Plan was submitted to the EPA, and coho and steelhead salmon were listed as threatened due to stream sedimentation and high water temperatures. It is important to note that some stakeholders were not included in the development of this watershed conservation plan, and that fishermen and loggers felt both guilt and a deep sense of loss from the closure of the fishery. It was in these strained relationships and hard feelings that my guests began to work on building trust, educating community members, and finding landowners willing to voluntarily participate in watershed conservation and restoration. My guests are Linda McElwee, Project Coordinator, and Patty Madigan, Conservation Programs Director of the Mendocino County Resource Conservation District. Linda and Patty, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having us. This is Linda. And this is Patty. Thanks so much. My pleasure. So, Patty, for those who aren't familiar with the organization, could you give a brief overview of the Mendocino County Resource Conservation District? Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, it was founded in 1945 as the Willits Soil Conservation District. It's a sister organization to what was then called the Soil Conservation Service, which is a federal program that's run out of the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Um, it's now called the Natural Resources um, Conservation Service, or NRCS for short. They do a lot of um, uh, incentive programs with landowners. Uh, they focus on working landscapes, which are those that are either producing timber or some kind of agricultural pro product. So we've been in Ukiah now for at least 40 years, and I've been with the organization for 17. And Linda, you've been here about 10, haven't you? Yeah, the 12 years, yeah. Oh, well. And one thing I would just add about the, the local, the Mendocino County Resource Conservation District is that um, what they found out when they developed the, the federal programs back after the, the Dust Bowl, they realized very quickly they needed a local partner, uh, local agencies that had the landowner relationships and also knew the, the local natural resource issues. So it's just a, a role that we fill kind of uh, in between the the NRCS and uh, the local stakeholders and working mm -hmm. landscapes. Yeah, and this is Patty again. We're non-regulatory, and we sort of pride ourselves in having excellent landowner relationships as well as relationships with the resource agencies that do the regulatory work. So we, we're definitely right up the middle, and we try not to get involved too much in 
um, politics or advocacy in one direction or the other. And I think that's what mm-hmm. allows us to work with landowners in our successful way. Super. So just building on that, would you just share your the guiding principles of, of the conservation district? Well, our guiding principles are, are basically to work on a voluntary basis with um, land managers, landowners, um, stakeholders in a way that um, leads towards conservation uh, and restoration uh, benefits. And mm-hmm. we try to provide them with the opportunity to um, do so in a way that doesn't break the bank. So I don't think that's in our mission statement, but I think that's kind of what we do, <laughs> huh, Linda? Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> and and what are your five project areas? Our pro- five project areas right now, um, we've recently started a forestry um, um, program. program and an uh, agricultural program that focuses on um, soil health and conser- um, conservation and climate beneficial practices. We have a basically a water program that's water resources program that includes fisheries and water quality, also includes things like um, road preventing um, road sediment runoff. And so it's kind of uh, what I would call a water quality program. Mm-hmm. Um, and what, what would be our, those are three. <laughs> Yeah, those are sort of the three main overarching ones, I guess. We, the <laughs> cannabis is spilling in there just because cannabis is, a, is an issue that we're dealing with. Uh, pretty, it's a it's a it's a major issue that's going on countywide now. So that I wouldn't say that we have a cannabis. It all fits in under you know working with working landscapes. So we don't distinguish necessarily between any one type of agriculture. So there's all of what Patty just mentioned: the climate beneficial uh, vineyard or farming practices, uh, the forestry practices, the roads, the water quality, it all, you know, we kind of spread it across the landscape. Mm-hmm. And we do a lot of outreach and education. We work with schools and we work with um, after-school programs and, um, you know, we do public outreach to people of all ages because we feel like it's all part of, part of a, a healthy watershed. We have two projects that are with the school districts in Ukiah and one in the Anderson Valley here. Uh, that are for low-impact development, uh, stormwater management programs, uh, also which is, kind of come, can come under the heading of water quality, but uh, it's their stormwater programs and water conservation. Mm-hmm. And then we also have we have a very large program that's um, sort of what you would call a mitigation program, although um, we were not part of necessarily negotiating that. Up in Willis, there's uh, about 2,000 acres that we're managing and stewarding uh, and will eventually own um, when they reach their success criteria on all the things that they had to mitigate for when they built the freeway. So that's Mm. another program that's relatively new for us. Super. So where does your funding come from? Well, uh, we get a small amount from through the county as um, support for grant writing. Um, It comes from tax funder base. Uh, It's about 20 $4,000, $4,000, and the rest of it all comes through grants that are competitive grants and securing funding through com- different competitive grant sources. Mm-hmm. We also do a small amount of fee-for-service work, like if somebody needs to hire biologists or a forester or uh, somebody to do a botanical survey or um, a fish survey, we do have staff that can be hired um, for a pretty reasonable rate through our organization. So that's kind of, that's another new program that we haven't done much of, but 
we're starting to do more of because it's good to diversify your funding bases. And mm-hmm. Some more about the, the, the grant funding that we get uh, is they both could be local, state, or federal grants or combination thereof. Uh, we'll, we'll, a lot of it is, some of it is public funds. So the water bond that was passed, or Prop 1 funds that through the Wildlife Conservation Board or Department of Fish and Wildlife. Um, there's the State Coast Conservancy, um, California Department of Food and Agriculture, uh, you know, just to name a few. And then we have our federal funding, which we feel very insecure about. Um, and that came through the State Water Resources Control Board. And although they have developed um, a new grant program through the timber tax, which is called the Timber Fund, which uh, may either supplement or replace what was called the 319H, which is the Clean Water Act uh, funding that helps um, us respond to uh, thresholds that are set for what is uh, an acceptable amount of pollution from sediment and from high water temperatures. So Mm -hmm. we're a little nervous about that one. Yes, yes. So, Patty, you started working at the district in 2001, what did you focus on first? Boy, I really had to get up to speed on, on the 600-plus page watershed plan. And um, I tried to figure out, you know, since people had walked away from that, the process of developing the plan with, um, you know, some people were happy with it. Some people were very unhappy with it. And I think a lot of people were burned out. So I was very careful about um, not jumping in over my head before I got some firm grounding and what the plan said, what the process was that got us there, and then developed sort of a game plan for how I was going to approach the community about um, implementing the plan. So enter Linda about six months later is when I met Linda, and she and her partner were very interested in the plan, bought several copies, were attending local meetings, and I thought, well, that's my advocate there. (laughs) (laughs) So we've been partners in watershed ever since so that'd be you know 2001 2002 yeah mm-hmm. and really so started Linda, with one project so at a time go ahead mm-hmm. i was just going to say i mean it seemed like patty just started with one project at a time and you know one was educating the public about the, the plan and um you know what it what it, it the priorities that were laid out you brought in a lot of um of the experts that help write and do the mm-hmm. science on the plan to help, you know, there was a lot of education and outreach that happened. And then it seemed like with, you know, finding a willing landowner and, and a need and something that fit into the plan. Yeah. And I have to tell a story of myself, you know, I did go in sort of naive about, you know, accomplishing a lot quickly. And, um, I had my comeuppance when I went out and did a landowner site visit and, um, was told by uh, someone whose name I will not mention that I was either incredibly naive or incredibly stupid, one or the other, so take your pick. Um, And so I had to eat a little crow, but that same person came up to me about three years later and congratulated me on the work that the RCD was doing. So I think that sometimes you just jump in, you know, without guile or fear and you end up with a little bit of egg or mud on your face and so I, I felt like, yeah, you know, you just have to jump in and try. And I did the best I could and um, was able to salvage something out of that project by passing it on to someone else and um, starting fresh with, with new projects and new ideas. 
with new people. Yeah, indeed. So, Linda, you started in 2005 at the district, and you've been focused mostly on the Navarro River watershed. So I was curious what, if you could briefly describe what element or elements has had the most potential leverage for change that you've focused on? Um, let's see. That's an interesting question. Um, I think, you know, again, I think we started off in the beginning of the, of our conversation talking about landowner relationships. And, and I think I would just come back to that because, um, you know, it's really people, I think, feel comfortable with us. I think they appreciate the work that we do for the most part. Um, they, we, we haven't, as I think it to our advantage, we're, we're, we're you know, we're, we're, encouraging people and trying to model good stewardship practices. And yet um, I wouldn't say we're, we're not so much an advocacy organization. So we've been able to maintain, it's been very important to us to maintain re- relationships kind of across all uh, stakeholder, uh, uh, stakeholders in the watershed. We have a lot of diversity going on here. And so it's, we, we've been, careful to not alienate any one enterprise or type of uh, working landscape or anything like that, that, you know, we really do want to be able to work with everyone. Um, I would say some of the, 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 the work, though, that I've seen since we started or Patty started implementing the Navarro Plan, that what we really have seen over these years now, 16, 17 years, is I think we're starting to see some effects of improvement on sediment. And um, I'd like to say that I hear that from the fishermen as well, that uh, the, the river seems to be in better shape because of maybe not, you know, stemming. There, I think there's a natural recovery happening in combination. So we have that going for us. <laughs> and just the change of forest practice, forest practice rules and, you know, a lot of different things have, have changed over the years, not just through our work, but I think the road work has also probably been one of the greatest benefits that we've seen improvements to the system as a whole. Super. So we'll be right back see. after a short break and we'll continue our conversation with Patty Madigan and Linda McElwee of the Mendocino County Resource Conservation District. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com What's your coffee story? The one that defines who you truly are in a relaxing setting. It's where you share your memories, plan for the future, and talk about the now. My favorite coffee story is here with host Aniko Samoji. We invite you to listen in and share your coffee stories, too. Bring your friends or just stop by as we talk about coffee and the inspiring stories that touch our lives every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What if there was a radio show that could demonstrate how we can cut your taxes in half without diminishing needed government services? One that could explain how to create tens of millions of jobs at no cost to taxpayers, as well as fantastic yet easily affordable health care. Side effects include cutting crime rates nationwide, providing better education for our children, international peace and harmony, 
and protecting your private, personal data from government intrusion. Tune in to Libertarians Working For You with Arvind Vora, Tuesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Variety. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Envision with Thomas Rosenberg. To find out more about the program, please visit our website at regenerate.coach. That's regenerate.coach. You can also visit our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Envision Regenerative Communities. Now back to Envision. Here again is Thomas Rosenberg. Welcome back to Envision. We are here with Patty Madigan and Linda McElwee of the Mendocino County Resource Conservation District. And we were talking about the different elements of what's been successful in their time working across Mendocino County. I wanted to ask you both, when you you both started, the focus was more on habitat restoration. And now that there's more species recovery in some practices and also state and federal regulations have changed, what and you're focused perhaps more on on species recovery, what additional challenges does that present? I know, Patty, do you want to start with that? Yeah, and I think what comes to my mind, um, thank you for that question. I think it's a really good one. Um, What comes to my mind is the challenge of working with diverse stakeholders to create a unified or a shared vision. Um, Right now we're focusing on flows and yeah, it's because of the coho salmon and the steelhead trout, which are, um, you know, are listed species and uh, have historically been abundant in this watershed. And um, since the big floods of the 50s and 60s are no longer in abundance, then those floods were things that exacerbated the uh, runoff and the erosion from past logging practice and other land use practices, any kind of development, and um, have pretty much, you know, diminished those those fisheries to where I think there's only catch and release now allowed for steelhead trout in the river. And to get everyone to feel like they're a part of the solution um, and not focus on blaming any one group, but getting everybody to roll up their sleeves and and do what they can is, I think, the challenge where we are now. Where we are today is that you can fix all the roads, you can put habitat back together again, but you can't bring the fish back or bring back all the beneficial uses unless you enhance flow. So the beneficial uses of of water are are recreation, they're fishing, they're, um, you know, domestic water use, they're for fire protection, there's, you know, a a very long laundry list of beneficial uses of water, and we have diminished flows, especially during the drought years, we really saw it and, you know, felt it. Um, And this year we had a lot of 
a lot of rain uh, and our flows are better. But uh, we really want to focus on what are the other things that we can do besides, you know, wait for it to rain to improve um, our flows here in the Navarro. Mm-hmm. And it maybe it can what? be a model for other communities. Yeah. Wendy, do you have anything to add to that? Um, one thing I guess I would add is just that after this time, for me, uh, you know, we spend a lot of time in the creeks and in the tributaries. And there's, uh, you know, I, I know that fish aren't necessarily want or meant to be seen. and But there are many creeks we go in where really there's just no fish. And so... Um, or, or presence. And usually if they're present, you, we see them. They're actually not, not that hard to see, actually. So um, I, I think that's just one of the things that I've sort of kind of honed in on more closely is either the, the creeks where it feels like almost like a ghost-like feeling of like fish should be here and they're not. And I, I wasn't here. I didn't live here in the day when fish were abundant throughout the watershed. There, you know, Patty grew up here more. And you weren't spent, born yet, Liz. <laughs> <laughs> spent time here when uh, then there were more fish. And so I, I've sort of been piecing it together on my own a little bit, trying to figure out what what's like how how we got to this place. And um, I, I see some recovery in, in some of our streams. We've taken out some. Uh, fish barriers, and we see fish return, especially after this winter's rain. And, um, you know, we're just keeping a really close eye on those flows and, and the fish that are, are in those those few pools that are there to, you know, kind of cheering them on that they, they can make it through mm-hmm. uh, till, till the winter rains come. So this sounds like a question really around water rights and, and talking, you were talking about the beneficial uses, but that Underlying that, it feels like it's a question around water rights. So how do you navigate sticky wickets like that to create a shared vision that really enable the fish to recover? Well, that's when we kind of bring in our partners. And we've been working lately with the Nature Conservancy and Trout Unlimited on sort of a joint project where we can, uh, you know, help people um, adjust their water rights. So it's not necessarily... Um, having them give anything up permanently, but it is, you know, California water law is very complex and a lot of people have, have a water right that allows them to um, divert water during the summer when that really would be better if it was diverted during the winter when flows are abundant, but that requires storage capacity. So that's one of the strategies that we're looking at is increasing storage capacity and by um, amending or adjusting the water right to um, allow that. And so that depends whether they have an riparian right or an appropriative right, and it's all over my head. So that's why we have um, partners who, uh, you know, we have water rights attorneys that work with us and can help, you know, landowners understand what the pros and cons are for for partnering with us. Mm-hmm. We're, we're also sort of, uh, you know, some of the things that finding, again, it's sort of like, Back in the day when Patty first came into the watershed, it's it's finding the willing landowners. Hopefully, they're in a priority reach or area uh, that you know um, can. We're, what we're kind of looking at now is limiting. This is what it's kind of coming down to, especially during drought years, limiting the number of days where the pools are disconnected because they found that. Um, the morbidity of a fish goes way up during that time. It's the bottleneck and the life cycle of the steelhead and the coho salmon. So um, it's really, we're down to perhaps a fraction of a cubic foot per second of flow. 
And so even a small landowner, the domestic use, water use, who um, really wants to um, feels very strongly about doing the right thing or wants to, we want to not take away any water security for them. We want to increase their water security, help maybe incentivize the whole process by helping them uh, either, you know, setting up a demonstration, starting with demonstrations. So if they can get tank storage that they feel comfortable with and we can amend a water right for them uh, and that benefits the fish, we will want to, we really work towards the win 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 for everybody. Mm-hmm. Super. So that takes me in a slightly different direction. Actually, you mentioned earlier that you are doing outreach to schools, and so I was wondering why do you feel it's important to include the school kids in the outreach, and what's the response been like? Well, our, our schools, uh, we're really fortunate here. Um, our schools are both lo- located on creeks and salmon-bearing or steelhead-bearing streams. Uh, so we have creek trails at both schools now that have been developed over the past 10 years. And um, with outdoor classrooms, the sixth graders raise uh, steelhead in the classroom as well. So there's, they start young. There's been a whole, there's a, a native bird enthusiast teacher in the third grade that, you know, our kids are, they do water quality monitoring in fourth grade. So they're, they're, they're raised up through the program. And ideally we're, you know, going to be raising generations of, of watershed literate kids. And part of the challenge we have had, it doesn't, you know, it's not as rosy as it all sounds. We've had, you know, challenges inside the schools as far as perhaps um, our science teachers. We've had a high turnover at the high school in particular. And so there's been a challenge of connectivity more with the staffing to help really steward the project through. We do a Connecting to Creeks program that we do it have started at the high school where uh, after star testing, we have about the last month of school. Uh, we take kids out in a week, you know, each week they have a different like mini unit. So we would do a, an a orientation to the restoration project that's right outside the back door of the school on the creek there on Robinson Creek at the high school and a native plant and invasive plant ID. Uh, the next week we would do a um, visual stream habitat survey with them and we plant these leaf, plaque, leaf packs into the creek, which were filled with native uh, different types of tree leaves and leave them in the creeks. Uh, I'll come back to that in a moment. And then maybe the third week, what we would do is um, a native bird walk and observation, and we do quiet observation and plant illustrating and or botanical illustration. And, uh, and then the last week, what we do is we bring the, the leaf packs back up into the classroom, and they get sorted onto a poster that has the, the uh, macroinvertebrate uh, families, and so they sort the macroinvertebrates from the leaf packs into the different families, and it all goes back to the creek. It's pretty low impact, and uh, the kids really learn about water quality through that, and we've seen an improvement as the, the stream, uh, Robinson Creek, has, has uh, sort of recovered a lot of its integrity as a creek over the years since we first went out there in 2002. We're seeing a you know, tremendous increase in the diversity of macroinvertebrates for the better as far as water quality indicators. So that's really exciting. And now through a DROPS program, which is a drought response outreach program for schools, which is also through the State Water Resources Control Board, some funding that came through Prop 13, uh, we're implementing these stormwater, like they're 
basically filter basins or rain gardens uh, throughout campus and water tanks. So they learn about water conservation, native plants and pollinators, uh, stormwater and its impacts to the the whole uh, geo the the whole shape and. Uh, of the hydrology of the creeks and how it's been affected by the flows and the the, the flushing flows of stormwater, et cetera, and the piping and the, you know, so we're just, and we're going to be um, basically teaching them about slow it, spread it, and sink it and store it techniques for the landscape to spread the water out, let it filter, uh, and slowly infiltrate back into recover groundwater, depleted groundwater resources. Mm-hmm. Super. So has, including children, you mentioned that you're hoping to raise generations of watershed literate people, but I was curious, has it helped you build bridges amongst their parents and other adults in the various stakeholder groups in the county? Yeah, I actually think, I think it has. Uh, we have volunteer work days and we, we have, we have some really great publications that we, um, there was the Navarro River Resource Guide uh, that is a watershed resources guide for landowners. So uh, when we go into the classrooms, uh, the, the grades all will come home, you know, with a Navarro River guide, and it has a map of the watershed. So even we spend time with the kids, orienting them and doing like a watershed 101 and a fish life cycle 101. And so really helping them to understand where they, that they live in a watershed they map where they live in the watershed. Uh, they develop, go home, and probably talk to their parents about uh, what they've done and where we live and, you know, uh, hopefully develop a greater connection to place. Super. We're speaking with Patty Madigan and Linda McElwee of the Mendocino County Resource Conservation District, and we'll be right back after a short break. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Voice America Network proudly presents the Catherine Zox Show for women, men, children, and families. Catherine magically combines her compassion, experience, and talent to bring listeners a show that's upbeat, informative, and yes, a little sassy. Tune in every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern to the Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America channel. Fire can destroy your home, your business, and your life in seconds. On Speaking of Fire, with co-hosts Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram, we investigate fire, the origin and causes, and provide important information to prevent accidental fires and save your life, loved ones, and your property. We speak to experts about technology, investigative research, and insurance issues with regard to fire. Tune in Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. News. 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 News.
Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Envision with Thomas Rosenberg. To find out more about the program, please visit our website at regenerate.coach. That's regenerate.coach. You can also visit our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Envision Regenerative Communities. Now back to Envision. Here again is Thomas Rosenberg. Welcome back to Envision. We are here with Patty Madigan and Linda McElwee of the Mendocino County Resource Conservation District. And we were talking about the impacts and the benefits of their outreach program to schools and how that filters through the community and and through parents and, and volunteer volunteer days. I wanted, in the intro, I mentioned something that Linda had commented to me earlier about the sense of guilt and deep sense of loss when the fishery closed, especially amongst the loggers and the fishermen. And so I was curious, do you both feel that that guilt and grief have been addressed in the community or is it still hanging out there, hanging over the community? I, 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 um, this is Linda. I, I did mention that to you and, and, Partly, I've mentioned that to you, I think, in reference to a film, and I would just, it's called, I'd like to bring it up, it's called Rivers of a Lost Coast, and mm-hmm. um, it's, a, it's a wonderful independent film that is worth seeing if anyone is interested in uh, what's happened to the fishery here in the north coast of California. Uh, it's a great history that really filled in a lot for me on, on how we got to this place, and uh, a little bit from the fisher, much more about the fisherman's perspective. So... You know, in regards to this, I don't know that I don't know that we have really addressed those things in the community outwardly so much, except in the sense that fishermen friends, we uh, I can uh, share with them the sense of loss for sure. Um, there is definitely a sadness that you hear in people when they talk about what it used to be like. And um, I, I always love to hear stories, certainly about what it used to be like um, when, you know, a lot of the people growing up, growing up here, um, certainly the fish were abundant and, um, you know, that there is a sense of loss that I think people definitely do share. Um, as far as, you know, the guilt and the logging thing, I'm not quite sure. That That's a little bit of a sticky wicket because it's... Um, you know, well, we, still, we still have logging, and so it's it's still very present day. And it, even though as we have, it, it's changed from what it used to be for sure. Um, you know, there maybe in other parts of the county more so than here. Um, there might be that, like I'm just thinking Fort Bragg, where there's the mill has closed and things like this, where yeah. you know there's just been a big change of uh, livelihood. Well, this is Patty, and I. I actually think that it's kind of ironic that where we have the most coho salmon is where there is active timber harvesting going on. It happens to be where the big trees are. It happens to be where there's um, fog, um, influence of fog, so there's cooler water temperatures closer to the coast. And I think that the timber companies have had, they have their own biologists, they have their um, hydrologists, and they're, they're proactive 
because they know how to um, leverage the resources in order to do a better job. Um, so I think that they are compelled to on a regulatory level to do it, but also it helps with their marketing um, and I help, helps with their public relations. So uh, I think not everybody gets it about what caused the decline, and um, it's really complicated. It's not one industry because, you know, if one were going to say, okay, we don't have the logging and fishing industry the way that we had in the past, in the fishing industry, when we talk about the fishing industry, there's both the ocean commercial fishery and then there's the sport fishery. And the movie that Linda mentioned really focuses a lot on the sport fishery and the very competitive nature that some fisher people had about um, how many fish they would um, take home and in a very competitive fashion to get the biggest fish, the most fish. And I think that's, I think in my own family, I recognize that in my father and my uncles and, and uh, their, their families about we didn't, if we knew that it was going to drop off so rapidly, we wouldn't have had so much uh, greed and enjoyment in getting as many fish as possible. And then I think that there is sort of been a democratic shift in terms of jobs where there was a lot of uh, activism about forest practices. And, and then uh, enter the green rush and both the, um, the impacts from uh, marijuana cultivation and expansion, especially in this watershed of, of vineyards and the wine industry, is kind of like that's all kind of a resource-based economy that sort of transitioned. And, uh, and so now the activists are sort of fighting those things. So kind of the same story with a different cast of characters. Well, and I guess, you know, and when we talk about it, for us, what's been most, and just coming back to sort of our, uh, uh, if we have had uh, any strategy besides, like, any stated strategy, maybe through this time, would be like, one is, you know, this primary care and, and uh, of our relationships. And then also, I would just say that um, there, it, it's like death by a, a thousand cuts. So we're all part of the problem, and we all are part of the solution. And that's the opportunity that we have here. So for us getting, um, we don't really like to so much uh, even engage in, um, you know, any one industry being the problem because actually it, it, we're all part of it on any level. Even, you know, I know that there are some, you know, certainly the days of taking D8s up creeks was a bad idea. and But they didn't do it necessarily you know, it was, it, it's sort of like everything had its time. And it, that we can see the unfortunate side of that now, but it's still, you know, everyone in, in a sense, you know, I guess they were doing the best. That, yeah, they were, yeah, they were, I guess they were just part of the learning process. It was how they got to the trees. And that's what they saw were the trees. And um, it wasn't, so we, we've learned a lot. And, um that's where we feel like the most constructive part of the conversation is, is really just about how we're all, we are all part of it. And, um, but even by living here and working here, no matter what place we hold in the watershed, we all are contributing to it in some way. Nobody is free of using water and mm -hmm. we all are using the roads and uh, we all can be part of the solution. And so on any scale, and that's what it's going to take, to be honest. It's not going to be any one silver bullet that will be 
a solution for us. It's really going to be across the landscape, all different stakeholders doing their part, really. And I think David Orr, uh, David Orr is a writer and an ecologist, environmentalist, who said that we have all the technology to fix our environmental problems. What we lack are the relationships and the skills to speak to one another about, you know, common solutions and, and those communication skills that are so important. So I think we focus on that a lot is mm-hmm. how we, how we speak to each other. How do we speak to our community members and our partners is really important and, and to engage as many people as you can and, and, and try to get to a win-win situation. Well, that still have fun my... doing it. Sorry, go ahead, Patty. Still have fun doing it, you know. It's really important yes. to laugh together and have, have a good time while you're doing it. Otherwise, you get burned out. <laughs> indeed, indeed. I, w- I was going to follow up on your, your comment, Linda, just about how do you feel the, the conversation has been changing with your efforts at the district, your collective efforts at the district? Well, I mean, people want people, people continuously, actually, I think, want to, in a sense, pigeonhole us to be the um, to be the advocates or the activists and to do put up the big fight. And and not that that um, we 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 all, all I think all of us that work at the RCD have um you know, obviously we care about the natural resources. <laughs> we wouldn't be doing the work. And so um, I think it's uh, there's a tendency, maybe I'll just say for myself that, you know, I really do, um, I try not to get too hung up really uh, on the, the, and I don't mean this in a bad, in a bad sense, and maybe I don't know how, in the particulars, if you will, like, it's sort of like the long view, but this is a marathon and, and it's, there's, you know, this is in some ways, you know, you think, well, why? And I remember even back in the day, 2000, 2000, people were like, oh, the Navarro is just, it's like done for, you know, kind of like writing it off. And I've never felt that. I've always felt incredibly hopeful that, uh, and for the most part, encouraged by what I've seen and the work that we do and the, the small steps that are taken. It's been one step at a time, literally, like, one $3,000 grant might lead to another $3,000 grant. Hopefully they're bigger, but they are much bigger than that. But that's like the work with the schools. That's basically what it's been. And, um, you know, you start small and just grow one step at a time. And what I think people have witnessed with us over time is one, our staying power, one, to be able to stand up in a public meeting when people want you to, they'll be, you know, calling out all of the problems and, but it's important that the problems are recognized and acknowledged and, um, you know, called out. But, and we all play our roles. That's the other thing. So for us, I, we just have to kind of come back to, yes, that is true what you are saying. And it's also much bigger than what you're saying. And that there's, there's, um, there's just many sides to the story. So getting caught up in the, in the problem, I still just don't, I still think just not getting stuck in the problem is really what's just looking more towards the solutions and, and going one step at a time. It's been part of our success. Would you agree with you, that? Are you? Yeah, I'd agree. I think it's kind of kicking the can down the road to say that it's somebody else's fault or somebody else's problem. So um, I think it, you know, it's really, yeah, it takes the whole watershed to to come to any kind of, 
um, you know, hope and improvement. I think nothing succeeds like success. And when we do have success stories in our work, we like to um, bring the public out or promote it in the local paper or, you know, use, um, you know, uh, social media to do little videos and, and uh, before and after photos and um, hopefully get people excited you know, because to really appreciate what we have because even if it's um, diminished from what, <clears throat> excuse me, what it once was, um, it's still really great. Oh, my God. It's so beautiful. Don't tell anyone. We have, to, we have to take a short break, and we'll be right back. <laughs> Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. Do the adventures of Indiana Jones leave you curious about this exotic and unusual profession? If so, don't miss Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. You'll learn about forensics, ancient civilizations, and human origins. Listen to Dr. Schuldenrein and colleagues discuss their excavations and related archaeological topics, ranging from the unique to the sublime, and yes, even the mundane. Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology, live Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Variety. Are you ready for a disaster? If you are like many people in the world, that answer may sadly be no. Disasters happen unexpectedly to people just like you every day. Tune into Preparing for the Unexpected with business continuity and disaster planning expert Alex Fullick. The show will not only help you better prepare for a disaster itself, but also to prepare you, your place of employment, and community for the aftermath emotionally, financially, and with a better level of awareness and a stronger feeling of resiliency. Tune in Thursdays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has launched our mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host, no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Envision with Thomas Rosenberg. To find out more about the program, please visit our website at regenerate.coach. That's regenerate.coach. You can also visit our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Envision Regenerative Communities. Now back to Envision. Here again is Thomas Rosenberg. Welcome back to Envision. We are here with Patty Madigan and Linda McElwee of the Mendocino County Resource Conservation District. And we were talking about really starting to have that conversation with different community members and helping people recognize that regardless of the role that you play economically in a community, we are all both part of the problem and part of the solution. So, Linda or Patty, could you tell us what 
your more about the program on climate beneficial agriculture. This is Linda. I'd be happy to talk about that. It's a new program for us, and um, it's it, we're very excited about it. It's uh, focused on um, well, locally and and statewide. There's a soil health initiative that's happening through Natural Resource Conservation District uh, services and sorry NRCS and other stakeholders, uh, CDFA, the Farm Bureau, um, California RCD. Um, and so, um, and what is ex- I think some of the things that are really exciting about it is we're, well, we're in our area and regionally in the North Coast, we're starting to work with vineyards because that's just one of the larger agricultural types up here. And um, so we're just beginning our outreach, but and we're going to be doing demonstration trials and uh, soil assessments. We're going to be doing what we're calling it, what are called carbon farm plans. Uh, the LandSmart is a conservation planning platform that the RCDs on the North Coast have developed. Uh, you can find out more at LandSmart.org. And we've added a carbon farm element to the templates that we have. And um, so there's a vineyard template, there's an orchard template, there's a rangeland template, and there will be a forestry template coming out. And uh, basically when we're looking at, if we call it a carbon farm planning, we would go out to different farms, we would be looking at their practices, um, and what happens is that we would then begin to look at the carbon, the climate beneficial practices in particular that would be keeping your soil covered, uh, maybe a conservation tillage regime or no-till, changing to no-till, um, how, how you water and when you water, um, the, how you amend your soil if you're uh, using cover crops or, you know, the types of amendments you're using. So by building soil health and tilt, uh, we actually, the soil is one of the best sponges to hold water. And so for us, as far as water quality and water quantity, this is a tremendous benefit all across the watershed. So by building the tilt of the soil, we can hold the water in the soil better, longer, and so that it um, can, you know, we're not having to use as much as well as maybe recover and actually let it go down into the, the groundwater table again. The so different techniques. And also that also um, minimizes the sediment runoff from farms. So this is sort of a win-win as well. The, the climate beneficial um, agriculture is, is really the way of the future. Super. What resources would you recommend for other communities seeking to build trust and find willing volunteers, landowners to protect and enhance critical habitat? Well, I think the first thing they should do is call their local resource conservation district. We were um, originally we were uh, state agencies and funded, and then uh, there was a big shift, and we've um, been self-funded, and some communities do have uh, county-based funding. Um, we're working on getting state funding reinstated. But I think that's where I would recommend people to start, is with their local natural resources conservation or NRCS office or the Resource Conservation District. Um, we share staff sometimes with other neighboring districts, uh, especially through the Land Smart program, but, um, you know, we're happy to help people, but we're pretty busy here helping other people in Mendocino County. So most counties do have a resource conservation district or have a district nearby that does cover their watershed. And so, I don't know, Linda, 
there's also nonprofit organizations, but I really think that the RCDs, they're really great about building relationships and leveraging resources and being cost effective. <laughs> Super. So what would be the most important piece of the for these communities that are seeking to start these conversations, what would be the most important piece of the stakeholder engagement puzzle to, for them to keep in mind? They need a plan. You have to start with a plan. And so, uh, I mean, I, I, it took me a long time to realize that, actually, but the plan is essential. And, and every grant, every project you want to develop has to start with a plan or an assessment. And so every grant or project that is developed, we start with a plan or assessment. And, and it's the same on a watershed scale. You need a plan or assessment. And so there's funding out there specifically for plans and to help watershed groups get established. Uh, you have to do a little bit of legwork and get yourself ready and organized. But uh, there, there is funding out there that we've seen throughout the years uh, comes across our desk uh, to help people, communities get there. Where can people find the the RCD? Where can they find you guys online and social media? Well, our website is mcrcd.org, and uh, we actually have um, a web our uh, Facebook page, and that's the Mendocino County Resource Conservation District. We also have one for the Navarro River Resource Center. Yeah, so in 2005, um, we opened a Navarro River Resource Center here in the Navarro watershed uh, in Boonville. And uh, so we have a Facebook page for that. And it, hopefully soon we'll have a website. But MCRCD, again, .org is, is a great place to find us. And there's a whole list of, uh, there's a drought resources page. So there's water conservation and uh, some great resources on our resources page. Excellent. And what is next for the MCRCD? That's a really good question. <laughs> you know, when you, when you grant right, you sort of live from one funding source to the next. But I think that our next thing is how to be sustainable, not to just really be able to work smart and to get through these periods of both um, climactic drought and, you know, funding drought. So I think that... Um, we're going to be building our toolkit and to be <clears throat> be able to work lean and mean when we need to and be able to um, rise to the occasion when we need to. So I'd say just get everybody um, feeling like they have the resources they need within our staff and within our organization. And so we're actually going to be doing a training for our staff for um, basically how to build excellent teams. And so we're pretty excited that's going to happen in September. Fantastic. And we're making presentations at the annual California Association Resource Conservation Districts, and we're talking about doing one for the Salmonid Restoration Federation meeting, which will be held in the spring up in Fortuna. Awesome. And we also well, have a database that we're going to be putting online, which is going to be quantifying all of the work that RCDs do across the landscape. And so that when we're talking about who we are and what we do, and we're trying to go after state funding base funding so we can continue this work, we're hoping to um, really be able to show uh, and impress, you know, the state of California, that not only our, our funders, but the people who don't know about us, what it is that we do and how we get things done. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much, Linda and Patty. It's been a pleasure having you here today. 
Thank you, Thomas. It's been our pleasure. It's been great. Thank you so much. We've been speaking about watershed conservation and recovery and the importance of building trust to develop a sense of ownership for the watershed and the industries that depend upon it. We'll be back next week with a new show. Look for announcements on my voiceamerica.com host page, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Thank you for tuning in this week to Envision with Thomas Rosenberg. Be sure to join us again next Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a terrific week.